Hello, welcome to Redecentralize, where today we're interviewing Daniel Siders, who's one of the founder architects of the Tent Protocol. Hello, Daniel. Hi, how are you? I'm good, yeah. Um, let, tell me about Tent. What, what is it? What does it do? Who's it aimed at? Uh, so first and foremost, Tent is a protocol, which separates it quite a bit from a lot of the other projects that are out there. It's not a piece of software. It's not an application. Um, uh, so it behaves a lot more like email or the web traditionally. Uh, email is powered by a number of different protocols like IMAP and SMTP. Uh, the web is uh, more uh, commonly known as being powered by HTTP. Um, the difference between a protocol and a piece of software is that uh, a protocol is basically a, just a single uh, human-readable document. It's a piece of paper that tells other software developers how they could write a new piece of software that communicates using that protocol. So that's why Google can wake up one morning and decide they want to create a brand new browser called Chrome, and it's going to play really well with all of the existing web uh, pages that are out there and the servers. So. Our perspective was uh, we wanted to uh, give people a much broader set of options rather than just say, here's a, an application or a piece of software, either you like it and you use it or you don't. Uh, Tend gives people the option or software developers the option to create a plethora of different uh, kinds of, of applications. Okay, so uh, from, from a user's point of view, what kind of applications would they, they be? So pretty much anything that you're using now that revolves around personal data. So it could be something, uh, and I guess communications is the other huge side of it. So um, everything from Twitter to Dropbox to Google Docs are the kinds of applications that could be powered uh, by Tent in the future. Um, basically, Tent gives you personally a, a single server where all of your data lives, not unlike having an email uh, server, and then secondarily, uh, any variety of applications. So you have applications that create data, store it on the server, and then your Tent server and mine would exchange posts and talk to each other. So those posts could be something like uh, a short uh, microblogging message, like a tweet, or it could be something like the operational transform uh, data that makes up a Google Documents post that is basically a, um, a real-time uh, collaborative document editor. Okay, and uh, what kind of people are using it already for what kind of applications? Right now, it's uh, it's not unlike a lot of the other um, sort of distributed social uh, communities that are out there. So it's uh, it's been pretty popular with early adopters who want to really kind of get their their hands dirty with uh, the nitty gritty of the protocol. But uh, in general, um, uh, we've been working on it for about a year, and the idea is until we hit 1.0, the API won't be set in stone, and so we're discouraging people from developing a lot of like production ready applications because we don't want them to have to uh, mm. go out go back and rewrite things when there's a break change in the protocol. Okay. So uh, so in the end, when I'm an end user, will I kind of maybe have my own tent server or use someone, one that's hosted for me by an ISP or something? What yeah. So uh, the model is, is, again, a lot like email. So probably uh, your ISP or maybe your, your mobile phone provider uh, might be one company that's offering you tent services. I probably have an email um, uh, account right now with my home ISP, although I've never checked it. Similarly, there will probably be free uh, tent providers who are ad-supported, like Gmail or, or Yahoo is today. Um, there will also be paid ones, like, say, FastMail or LavaBit, that are offering additional security or privacy on top of it. And of course, uh, like any decentralized protocol, um, uh, anybody could choose to host their own tent server at home. Although, we expect to see an ecosystem that looks a lot like email does today, with 90% of users spread across a small number of uh, commercial providers, which are, are mostly free. Uh, a long tail of uh, institutions like universities and corporations that for security or privacy or economic reasons want to, to manage their own infrastructure, and then a handful of um, 
uh, individual users who, uh, for fun as a hobby or uh, for privacy, security, or just um, technical reasons, uh, want to host their own uh, tent server. That, of course, is is always a possibility. So, how how do I like identify myself? What's the and and indeed my friends or people I want to communicate with? Yeah. So uh, right now, it's just uh, your your tent entity or your tent address is basically a, a URL. So the idea was. Um, essentially, like I might have DanielSiders.com as a as my personal website, and I'm just mm-hmm. going to use that as my my tent ID. So it's if you're handing out the business card that you've got, it's the same URL probably that you you already control and, and publish. So that's kind of similar to OpenID. Uh... Yes, uh, and the the big difference that we feel like when OpenID was was first yeah. promoted, uh, there were a number of problems that led to it not being widely adopted. But um, uh, in particular, the the using a uh, the, the entity the URL um, uh, didn't work out as well for them because uh, uh, personal domains hadn't been widely adopted. If you look today, you mm. see a lot of things like the the flavors and colors.me and there's uh, almost everybody I run into in the industry has a personal domain and we're much more used to that. You see it on Twitter bios, whereas a few years ago that wasn't really um, uh, as widely spread. So that's that's come into the common parlance much more. Mm. And in terms of storing my data, that what kind of forms that kept in? Is that, because it's what strikes me as noticeably different from say email, is email the server just stores email, whereas here you're storing all kinds of data. So intent, virtually everything is a, is a tent post, which uh, is, is most directly similar to a uh, desktop file system. So uh, where you're looking at posts on tent would be like files in your computer. And there are post types just like there are file types. And just like on the desktop, any developer can create a new, uh, a new post type. So you start off with a few that kind of like ship with the operating system, like just txt files. Um, but then maybe someone comes out with a great document editor that's, you know, doc files, and then mm-hmm. Photoshop comes along, there's PSD. The same thing's true on Tent. So um, when we initially created it, we, we threw a few uh, kinds of post types out into the wild for things like microblogging um, and, and photo sharing. But when somebody comes along and says, I want to do a cloud-backed file sync with Tent, they're going to create a whole new set of post types. From your Tent server's perspective, a post is a post, just like your desktop says a file is a file. OS 10 or Windows doesn't need to know so much how to read those files as what applications want to read them so that when you say I want to open this post it sends it to the right application. The mm. same model is true for 10. Okay. Um, you've been you've been making 10 for quite a while now. Can you tell me what like most technically what's been the most interesting thing about making a protocol like this? Sure. So um, obviously we're, we run into a lot of the same challenges that uh, some of the folks that for example like Diaspora have dealt with with just any of the, the decentralization mm. problems. So the one question is how granular do you want to be? Um, the other is obviously the, the big one for all of us is around adoption. But on the technical side, um, a protocol versus software is really different. So our perspective is then we have a, a tremendous amount of flexibility until we hit 1.0, but once we release Tent 1.0, we want to be hands-off and let it sit there for maybe as much as a decade, not unlike HTTP. You want that to be done and really solid mm. and certainly not have any breaking changes for a long time. Um, so designing in advance when you don't know what kinds of content people will want to store, how they'll want to share it, um, that's, a, that's a big challenge. Uh, and doing it from a perspective of it's not a single monolithic piece of software that we control and we can just push an update of, oh, you know, gosh, we decided to change everything. We don't have that flexibility. So once we hit 1.0, that protocol document, that specification is set in stone and we really have to make sure that we've imagined as many classes of possibilities um, as we can early on. 
So, uh, so how do you like do that? What's uh, and maybe by comparison to HTTP and things that did or didn't change in that or that aren't used. Yeah. So um, the the initial goal is to say we have to look at this from a perspective of being content agnostic. A lot of um, and I, I should say tent is not. Uh, necessarily social in nature. Uh, we originally had things like microblogging in mind uh, for Tent, but the idea quickly expanded to include things like Dropbox and even a lot of enterprise possibilities. Um, where where we differ from a lot of the other sort of uh, distributed or decentralized social uh, groups is that we didn't say, we can imagine all the forms of content that exist. There are blogs and there are microblogs and there are photos and there are comments. The reality is um, open source has done an okay job of cloning a lot of existing commercial applications, but you want to leapfrog Google and Facebook and Twitter. You want to say, what can't they conceive of right now? Because that's what we're going to be using 5, 10, 15 years mm. down the line. And from our perspective, we've got to be able to handle that. So basically by saying the tent should be agnostic to content, your server shouldn't need to know in advance um, what kinds of, of data you might want to store, whether that's something like quantified self, here's every 15 minutes, you know, my blood pressure, or whether that's something like a microblog that we're very familiar with at this point, or something like a, um, a hologram. I mean, who knows what we're going to want to be sharing, but we say applications yeah. want to create arbitrary data, which um, in terms of structuring it, we said uh, the posts themselves are JSON, which is a really nice, very common, very accessible uh, structured data format. And they have the option of, of adding um, binary attachments. So anything that's uh, like actually a, a file that you're uploading would be an attachment. And then the metadata for that file would be in the post, for example. Um, and that combination gives us a tremendous amount of flexibility. Well, that's, that's quite interesting. You, you brought up the uh, one of the reasons people often say they're doing this decentralization stuff is because of the possibilities that we're not really using networks in ways that um, to their full possibilities at the moment, we're kind of quite constrained by the by the web and by the solutions we're using. So, does that uh, can you see particular things that things like tent letting people experiment more with with different content Absolutely. types? Absolutely, um, there are a number of areas that we're particularly interested in. But um, from a broader perspective, Facebook has has positioned themselves on a corporate level as being sort of uh, the social utility, sort of like the electric company. And I think we all recognize whether we we like or dislike. The centralized providers of this, there is a, a necessity to have um, a sort of utility, something that is broadly accessible to all of your applications. That's the communications layer and the social graph layer. Once you have that accessible anywhere with an agnostic uh, set of data formats, you can do some really interesting things. So um, I think there's been some wonderful work done by uh, people at, uh, at Harvard Berkman uh, Center, and especially Doc Searles around the idea of intent casts, um, which we're really excited in. Um, uh, there's a tremendous amount to be done in, uh, in the area of sort of exchanging bounding boxes or high frequency uh, social transactions. Uh, applications like Looped, which was one of the first uh, location-based uh, applications, uh, sort of pre-smartphone, um, was really neat. It would tell you if you and I are friends and we both happen to be in Paris at the same time, if we're within a mile of each other, it'll send us both a message. Um, that's really neat, but it's incredibly problematic from the perspective of I have to always share my location with mm. the good people at Looped. Um, uh, doing something like that in a decentralized ecosystem is challenging, but, but entirely possible. And so being able to share parts of data with different groups of people and have sort of two-way negotiation gets very interesting. Um, and so high-frequency uh, data exchange, uh, high-frequency programmatic data exchange. So rather than me saying I'm checking in now, having my my location uh, persistently go back to my tent server, and then my tent server and yours are exchanging information at at high speed, only a small percentage of which actually surfaces in a in an application that you or I would use.
Okay, let's talk about the issue you raised a bit earlier, which is the big one for all of these uh, projects, which is how do, you, how do you plan to get there in terms of adoption? Sure. So from our perspective, there are there's sort of three classes of applications. Group one, uh, you use only alone. It wouldn't matter if you were the only user of it in the entire world, uh, you'd still be getting the same level of value out of it. Mm. So if I play Tetris on my computer, I don't care if I'm the only Tetris player in the world, I'm still having fun. Yeah. The second group are sort of small group collaboration. If all of my family members or all of my classmates or all of my friends or all of my coworkers were on it, we're good because it's, it's just about the internal sharing, sharing uh, private family photos or uh, communicating with a small group of people collaborating around certain files. Um, it, it, it doesn't matter so long as all of us are able to use it. It doesn't mm. matter if there is one other user, a million, a billion others. And then finally, you've got that last class um, of things where they, they generate tremendous amounts of value proportionate to the number of global users. Uh, uh, most mm. of the social web, as we're familiar with it today, falls most in that last category. Um, that, as far as we're concerned, it'd be amazing if we ever get to a space where, where Tent is that, uh, has permeated that much of space, but we can't assume that we'll ever reach there. So number one, um, uh, the sort of decentralized uh, movement has, has a lot of fans, but they're generally people who they're the only one in their social, their mm. real life social network who is a fan. So we want to give them a lot of things they can start using today um, that it doesn't matter if anyone else in the world uses. And then so from there... What yes. kind of things would those be? I mean, the obvious one that strikes me is is storing my own documents and backing them up because of well, the So I'd actually say that something like, uh, like a cloud-backed file sync, something like a Dropbox or a SkyDrive or an iCloud, actually falls more into that second group, but certainly mm -hmm. does, does cross the boundaries. So a service like Dropbox is incredibly useful for me alone, um, but has a ton of added value when my friends, family, yep. coworkers start using it. So yep. like Backblaze is more really just me, but absolutely that's uh, that's something that we've been working on. We've had a few um, alpha releases around that space. What are the other ones you think that are useful just for one person? Um, so I think that some of the, the document stuff uh, but there, there's an interesting set of publishing. So blogging, for example, being able to, to use Tent as sort of your, your CMS and then render some of that out uh, as a website, as an RSS, but also publish through Tent. So a lot of the things that we do that are universally consumed, but are, are more like you create a, a poster almost when you publish a website, whereas um, uh, the data itself needs to be stored somewhere where you have all of your drafts and all of your old comments. Um, and your, your style stuff, that could live in Tent really well. Um, a lot of the quantified self stuff is, is something that there's still really a lot of early adoption around and hasn't standardized. So I'd love to see a world where um, all the, the sensors, like if I buy a pedometer or something, that's syncing back to my Tent server rather than to a proprietary oh, wow. API like Fitbit or YThings, um, which would open up that space a lot. Because right now, one of the biggest challenges is you've got the service provider, the UI designer, and the people who are making the hardware all one company. It's possible to be really good at one of those things, but nobody, even the Jawbones, the Nike, have really nailed all three of those. So I want like Lauren Brichter to be able to design the best possible UI for me to visualize my fitness stuff. And I want uh, somebody who's really good at infrastructure mm. to be providing my tent server. And I want people who are really good at embedded electronics to be able to make all sorts of different um, uh, uh actual devices, including a lot of people who just want to hack together some electronics on their own. Um, currently, none of that's really accessible. So Tent will provide a single um, sort of set of APIs to allow everybody from the application developers to the service providers to 
the device uh, creators to all play together from from day one. That's really interesting because yeah, that's both quite sensitive data and it's also data where you often want to correlate data from different sources potentially to absolutely to, to understand to truly understand it. That's quite that's quite yeah. an interesting case. I, I should also mention that, that TENT is in many ways, although certainly not entirely, uh, modeled off of uh, uh, Ted Nelson's Xanadu. And so we mm -hmm. adopt a, a lot of their ideas around how uh, deep linking between content should work. So once you start getting a lot of information in TENT, being able to remix other people's information becomes very interesting. So imagine you publish a photo. I could include it in a blog entry of mine without worrying about what your content license is, because all I'm really doing is providing a link to that photo and then um, other uh, my, my readers' um, applications are then going to load that content from you if you've made it available to them. But you might choose not to. You might choose to start charging them for it later on. Um, there's a tremendous amount of flexibility in how that content is shared and reused. Mm. Okay, so you've got uh, version one that you're working towards. What's the time scale for that? Sure. So we've been working full time on it for just a little over a year now. We announced at the end of um, August or September uh, last year. Mm. We're at. Uh, 0 0.4 will be coming out in the next month or so, um, which is about 60% of the way to 1.0. There's one more uh, major release after that, and then it's mostly cleanup. Um, our development uh, uh, process has always been built around application-driven development. We don't like to make this an entirely academic process, so mm. while we might think in general about what kinds of rules ought to govern uh, the creation of the protocol, we tend to step back and not actually implement anything critical until we or someone else are working on an application that can actually make use of those new features. Otherwise, we risk designing something that made a lot of sense intellectually, but very little sense practically. Um, so I'd say we have about three months of, of protocol development time and then maybe another couple of months to implement some of that in, in the reference servers. Um, but we'll hold off on, on rolling a lot of that out until there are applications uh, and developers who are making use of them um, because otherwise it's it's sort of a risky mm. uh, decision to publish something that might need to change later because you've, you've conceived of it improperly. So it's probably about a year of that kind of development until it's... I would say that by the end of, of 2014, um, we will have a very strong 0 0.9 or yeah. have published 1.0. Um, I would say that we're at a point where there's few breaking changes that are expected. It's mostly feature additions. So a, a lot of the, the more basic applications, everything that needs to be there is there. Um, it's mostly the, the more advanced like internal content search. And uh, the big one we're holding off on right now is uh, the optimizations between large commercial servers. So if say you're, you're running a tent hosting company and so am I, and we each have a million users, we obviously want to optimize the amount of, uh, of traffic that goes between us. Something that email has never done particularly well, except on mm. certain ad hoc provider by provider basis. Whereas we have the opportunity to bake that into the protocol this time. But again, we want to wait until there's enough users, enough hosts, enough traffic uh, to make those kinds of decisions. So for, for people watching you want to help out in, in, that, in that next six months period, what's the kind of best way they can get involved and in, in Yeah, so uh, first off, if you've got ideas for the kinds of applications that um, you'd love to see built on generic social APIs, now's the time to speak up on a mailing list, an IRC, or best of all would be using Tent. Um, to say, hey, make sure that, like, or either make sure that this kind of uh, sharing would be supported, or how would an application of this type work using Ten? Because the more, um, the more actual like use cases we have in mind, the more likely it is that we will really hit the nail on the head with that generic model. Oh, so um, you almost want people who've written particularly interesting applications before and then know about them. 
or, or even somebody, you don't have to be a developer, but even like, I want to be able to do X with my family, with my friends in my workplace. Um, we certainly uh, haven't thought of all the types of sharing that happen. Obviously, we're, we're coming at this from the perspective of our own experience. And so people with other experiences, uh, some, of the, some of the most interesting feedback has been from people with um, uh, certain sets of uh, sensory disabilities um, or people who have very, very different lifestyles than we do because we can often sort of presume other people think the way we do when that's not the case. So mm. just people from a, a variety of backgrounds, that level of diversity is always helpful. Um, Certainly anybody on the, the software development side who wants to help out with reference implementation or make their own tent apps are always uh, always welcome, although we, we do sort of uh, put a, a warning label on saying everything is subject to change. So uh, this is not the time to make you know the next huge world taking over app with tent because the rug might get pulled out from under you uh, in the short term. Um, and then, of course, anybody who's who's just interested in, in checking it out, now is a great time to stop by, whether you want to help with things like documentation and tutorials, um, or whether you just want to uh, be involved in the conversation. Okay. Um, I've got to ask this just to, just to end. You're, you're obviously putting lots of energy into this. Like, you're, you're very, I love watching your uh, Office Hour videos. It's like oh, lots thanks. of passion there. Um, what's, what's motivating you? What's like keeping you going? So uh, for us, the, the analogy that we use is um, if, if Facebook or Twitter or Dropbox uh, sort of has a, a strong parallel to AOL or CompuServe uh, back in the day, um, sort of the, mm. the dial-in ISPs, um, then Tent should be playing the role the World Wide Web did. And so there's a tremendous amount of value if you're one of these big centralized companies in keeping stuff locked up in a silo. But would you rather own sort of 100% of a small marketplace or 2% of a giant marketplace? And so the number of things that, that we do on the web today that would never have been possible if AOL had, had remained mm. dominant and the web had mm. never emerged, um, it would just be really, really boring comparatively. And so we'd much rather see a free market and a lot of really awesome stuff happening. So. Well, I have, I think we all, all the Tent team have a list of sort of these personal applications that we've, I've always wanted something that did X or Y or Z, um, and that's great. But it's really the stuff that we can't imagine, the stuff that in 1992, 1995, we've been thinking about, gosh, if only there was a more open ecosystem. Um, I mean, that's, we've, we've had quite a few, you know, decades at this point of open development of the web that's produced things that couldn't have been imagined when the web started, let alone we were just in these, these proprietary mm -hmm. systems. We're in a similar age now, and so for me, it's the, the possibilities of things we haven't anticipated yet that will be enabled with uh, this, this very generic framework for sharing. Fantastic. Thanks, Daniel. It's been really good talking to you. Um, Thanks for having me. And good luck with Tent. <laughs> Thank you.